0: Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning, and that means it's time for another lifestyle business podcast. We believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you, those around me, on the Skype. In it to win it is my co-host, the man who would make a fine addition to any F1 pit crew. I mean, the other day, we were walking out of of the bars here in the Philippines. We come out to the car and flat tire on the side of the highway. And you just went into like you just looked like you came right off of Michael Schumacher's pit team. I mean, it was like four <laughs> minutes until you had a new tire on that thing, man. Right? I mean, pretty it's much- actually
1: it's it's fun for me, man. I time myself doing it. I've changed so many flat tires before. But uh, let me tell let me tell the story of of how we got a flat tire. This is pretty genius. Um, and in my days of of, of uh, being a kid, I wish I would have known this. And actually, you know, might use this sometime even as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I definitely would have done it for fun as a kid. So, what these kids did was this. They took a tire cap, you know the the valve stem cap that goes on the on the on the valve stem, the little plastic cap. And what they did was they put a little rock in there. Um, and if you've looked close at a, at a tire valve stem, there's like this little pin in the center of it. And if you depress that pin, that's how you let air out and let air in. So essentially what they did was they put a little rock in this tire cap and then they screwed the cap back on. Uh, so it let out all the air in the tire. And the cool thing about that, uh, is that you don't have to sit there and let the air out of the tire with your finger. Right. Um, or with the screwdriver, you just screw the cap on and you walk away. So really good going, guys. I I, I really appreciate that. So and, and if well, you, if you're listening, if you're listening, thank you for that.
0: We believe it was a protest against us parking in front of their business, although we don't know the story. But anyway, pretty ingenious stuff. Uh, if you guys stick around to the end of this show, we'll share with you how to analyze your credit score for free in less than ten minutes, which I had to just do because we want to secure another line of credit. So. Uh, we're going to get a little bit into that, but let's talk a little bit about the news. We're not together anymore, man. It's been an amazing two weeks. Um, I just had so much fun. We went.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of fun. We went
0: dirt biking we, uh, together. Run around the Philippines. Man. We have some amazing uh, photos from the last uh, week together. You know, we were, took the yacht out the other day, our buddy's yacht, and uh, we walked by. We shook the hands of a billionaire. We had no idea we were doing that at the time. We were shaking his hand and saying hi. And then we both walked by the vice president of the Philippines, like just walked by him at the yacht club and he had no security detail or anything. So I feel simultaneously amazed at the kind of access you get in a country like this. And I feel like an idiot too for not knowing the freaking vice president of the Philippines.
1: Yeah, and our other buddy uh, not too long ago sat at the table uh, with the president of the Philippines. So it is interesting as a Westerner how much access you can have uh, to these high-ranking officials and uh, rich guys in countries like the Philippines. Whereas you know, I'm gonna, getting ready to go back to the states this week, um, hang out with uh, our team in California, and I'll be lucky to have dinner with one of them. I mean, they don't even <laughs> want to hang out with me. <laughs> so there's no
0: no chance of me hanging out with anybody like that. You were talking a little bit. Uh, earlier today about lifestyle designers versus the guys who make it happen. These guys who do have the big successful entrepreneur. And I don't know if this is necessarily a fair dichotomy or whatever, but can you share with the audience a little bit of what you were thinking about this lifestyle design approach versus, you know, what you see as the the path to success in business?
1: Yeah, part of the reason why we're in the Philippines is because we're hanging out with our good buddies there, Uh, and they both run businesses and are are part of – some cool stuff that's happening uh, and in big stuff uh and these are guys that have cons- consistently been putting in the hours uh for several several years uh you know ten hour days for the last five to 15 years um and so i I look at these guys as lifers you know these guys are really these guys are true entrepreneurs swinging hard trying to hit fastballs you know and they've they've been able to consistently hit those balls for several years now because they've been into practice and so I you know I look at those guys and I, I think, well, those guys are entrepreneurs, and then I kind of think about these lifestyle designers um, that we hang out with, and I think a lot of people might accuse us as being lifestyle designers as well and um, I just look and, and, and I think about. I think about how much time the lifestyle designer spends on his uh, his life, you know, and, and maybe not necessarily partying, but hitting those pleasure centers so often. Um, it, whether that's like travel or party or whatnot, I, I think a lifestyle designer tries to, tries to hit their pleasure center as much as possible. Whereas these guys that were hanging out with the Philippines um, that have established businesses, they're not so worried about that. They're more worried about the long ball. Um, and we sat down with a guy... Uh, at the table, Dan, um, his name is Rod, and he he basically confirmed a lot of these things that we talk about, which is that you have to be in it to win it for the long haul. I mean, this stuff doesn't come easy and it doesn't come fast. And I think with a lot of the lifestyle designers, um, you know, you might be able to scrape together a couple grand a month or something like that, but. That can easily be shut off, you know. Especially if you don't have an organization behind it, if you're not entrenched in a business market, things like that. And a lot of lifestyle designers aren't. They're doing uh, product launches that are fast and that they end quickly, you know. Um, but you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a guy that wants to stick around for a while, guy that wants to build something sustainable, I think the biggest difference I see is that these guys are um, putting in the hours consistently for many years at a time.
0: You know, one of the things I love about coming here to the Philippines is just based on the group of friends that we've been able to develop, is we get our asses kicked here. I mean, these guys look at us and they're like, you know, they're looking at the 100% growth figures and the employee count and the, and the profitability and the million dollars in sales and all that kind of stuff. Everybody's nodding their head and all the new stuff that's coming out. And they're not that impressed. They're like, what, you guys been doing this for what, four years? You know yeah. What I mean? and, and they're like, look, and, and they're just like, you need, you guys need to show some focus. You guys need to buckle down. Now's when you get serious, you know, this and that. That's and just a cool perspective, you know, because I think that, um, you know, especially it's tough to find people to give you that kind of feedback. They're just, they're just, just going to tell you how it is. And so yeah. I think we both kind of walked away from these two weeks having a, having a blast and just feeling extremely motivated. You know, we definitely want to be a part of this crowd of people who who really takes it seriously. They don't want to just sit around and and talk BS and you feel good, I feel good, let's have fun. Uh, these people are really serious about building stuff, and they're serious about what it takes to get it done.
1: Yeah, totally, and they're and they're realistic with themselves too. And I think every single entrepreneur that I've met that's been successful, at least in my eyes, is really humble too. I've, I've very very few guys that I've met that are uh, that are um, not humble.
0: Speaking of humble, we've got a bunch of five star reviews this week. Where's the applause? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to hundreds of audio books and attended a ton of seminars. These guys distill the advice from the gurus. And their real-world experience into something entertaining and applicable. Thank you, Dax. Uh, Christina says, we helped her quit my 9 to 5. Five stars. Thank you and congratulations. And Jonathan says, this podcast rocks five stars. Um, heard about this show from my friend Gabriel, who I met while vagabonding through Costa Rica. And so I know the listeners aren't a bunch of people in their parents' basements. Laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, but (laughs) if it's your parents' basement that takes it to get it done, that's cool too. George wrote us a question this week. He has products that have been proven on eBay and Amazon, Ian, and he wants to start making cold calls to identify customers who can buy more volume. How do you get this whole cold call thing started in your business? Ian, take it away. You're the cold call king.
1: Oh, good question, George. Okay, so uh, we've addressed this a couple times on the podcast. I think we did an episode called Get Paid or Get Laid. Um, where we'll I think we actually had a script in there, right?
0: Mm. We had something. Uh, we'll link up to that in the show notes so you can check that one out as well, George.
1: Okay, so the problem that you're experiencing here is that you've got to figure out a way ultimately to start interacting with your customers to figure out um, how much they'll pay for the product, what kind of product they want, what kind of business... What, what kind of business are your customers going to build for you, I think? Uh, so start interacting with your customers. There's a couple different ways to do this. Um, uh, you could go to Odesk and you could build a list. We've done this before. So you outline the parameters for the person on Odesk. Uh, what's the location, their phone number, their email address, uh, what's the demographic, all this stuff. Uh, outline that for them. Do a sample. Say this is what the list needs to look like. It needs to have 100 contacts on it. I'm going to pay you 10 cents a list. Uh, excuse me per contact. That's one way to do it. The okay, way that I
0: would do it, George? Yeah, but let me bust this up. Here's the real thing. I mean, it's, it's really just about calling people and talking to them entrepreneur to entrepreneur. There's not Correct. like this, this kind of approach that magically seduces people into buying your product. You just want to start calling people. Check out what the landscape is. What are you doing? Do you have any advice for me? What's going on? I'm trying to do this. Are you guys interested? Have an entrepreneur to entrepreneur conversation. This isn't like an insurance salesman calling uh, you know, you want to talk to other small business people like you, you know, that could have some kind of interest one way or another in what you're doing. Um, there's this great Gary Vaynerchuk video that we're going to link to on this post where he actually just, he's like ranting about this exact issue and he's like, how hard is it like to get an advertiser for your blog? And he like literally picks up the phone, does a Google search yeah. and he does a cold call on the video. It's super cool. And George, I, you know, the smug advice here is you just got to get on the horn. I mean it's not actually the, – the biggest mystery about cold calling is how do you motivate yourself to continuously do it? And I think the answer to that is the uh, amazing effects that you're going to see. Start talking to people like your peers, like entrepreneur to entrepreneur. You're trying to make a business. They're trying to make a business. Find out where you can work together on stuff and start networking on the phone. I mean,
1: exactly. And so instead of, you know, my advice, what I was leaning into here, instead of building a list of 100 people, just build a list of like two or three. Just see if you can close one sale with one person of the phone. Yeah. You know, and and scale it from there.
0: Ryan asks, he's got 600 bucks in the bank to toss out of business. He wants to challenge us. What would we want to do if we want to get something up super fast in a weekend? And he also asks a corollary question, how do you cure that shiny object Syndrome. A lot of entrepreneurs suffer from this issue that they just cannot stay focused on one thing. They always want to pursue new ideas.
1: Yes, we have this problem too. Comes up all the time, Ryan. Quick answer to this I don't think there is any silver bullet. I don't think a business that you uh, only want to spend a limited amount of time on in the weekends with a limited amount of money is worth it. Um, And I don't even think money is your limiting factor here. I think it's that. Uh, that you're limiting yourself to such a small amount of time and that you're not really – doesn't really sound like you're willing to work on it uh, super hard. So well, I would about, work on that mindset there first.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the thing about it is it's like money isn't that important because you can have your customers fund your business. Like the quickest way to get a business off the ground, Ryan, is to start a service-based business where, you know, instantly it's like, look – I know about all these guys who have link networks and like I, can, I can basically run your purchase, link purchasing programs for you. Uh, if you want to hire me that's like 750 flat rate a month, boom, you can start selling that and then your, your customers are funding the business so you could get that business off the ground in a weekend. I mean, you're a landing page and a couple phone calls, a couple emails away from your first client. Um, and so the issue isn't capital, the issue is runway. The issue is how much time do you have to spend on this before you got to go and spend your time on something else. And I think that's a fundamental thing here. People were always saying, well, I need a lot of cash to do this and that. What you actually need is time. You need two years of not having a job and every day waking up and, man, I read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, by the way. You got to read that book. I can't believe I took so long to read the thing. It's a one sitting, amazing, potentially life changing read. And he says, Ian, you got to be a pro. And pros show up seven days a week at whatever your time is, you know. For Ian, that's, what is it for you nowadays? 10.30 a.m., Ian shows up, (laughs) and he's a pro. He's a pro. He sits there for five hours, and he does his work every day. That's runway. That's not capital. Um, You know, nowadays, you don't need capital to get a business off the ground. You don't need capital to get $750 a month clients doing link purchasing programs for them. You can do that immediately. What you need is expertise, hustle, and the attitude of a pro. And maybe that's a little bit different when we're kind of trying to make this distinction between lifestyle designers and guys that are making it happen. Lifestyle designers are the, the folks who are going after that. Oh my gosh, I can like quit my job and live off of my savings for a couple of years and then maybe do a couple product launches or put up an affiliate site. Whereas the professionals are like, I am going to become excellent at growing businesses and I'm going to show up every single day.
1: Excellent, excellent.
0: Next, so. next question, Benjamin from V Lighthouse wrote us back and said, thank you guys so freaking much. And thank you, Benjamin, for taking action on a lot of the things that we said. If anything uh, struck you, it seems like a lot of the feedback uh, struck Benjamin well, and he applied it to his site already. And he let us know about uh, Google Analytics now has a traffic surge alert. And so Benjamin... Yeah, before
1: the, uh, before the show here, I just went in real quick, and I couldn't find it, so I'm interested to hear from uh, people out there about that, because... I'm usually kicking around in that in that tool. So, what is the uh, surge tool?
0: Yeah, we'll check that out. Uh, apparently, it went off twice. So, the LBP listenership is uh, got some pull. When the LBP listenership moves around, it's like nice. boom. It's like sends sends off alerts. <laughs> Thanks, Benjamin. We're looking forward to hearing your updates in a couple months. How about this story about Scott? I got to share this really quick. Uh, he basically said, "I fell in love with your podcast, guys." So. Uh, what he did was he took a trip to Thailand, right? Travels all through Thailand and listens to our uh, 50 episodes in a row while he was traveling. Yes. And uh, that's kind of cool. It reminds me of like a spiritual retreat. That's definitely something that... I remember we had a trip like that together where we went to China together. And it was a product development trip and we were listening to podcasts and we were dreaming of, you know, changing our lives and all this stuff. And so I really relate to these kinds of emails, Scott. So I appreciate... Uh, you sharing that? Looks like Scott's running a skateboards business. Pretty cool. Yeah, he's
1: actually—it's actually pretty cool. I, 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 we'll put the link up there. I can't even pronounce the name of the URL, Ooh. so that's kind of an issue for me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's putting classic cars on the bottoms of uh, skateboards. So I'm into that, Scott. That's cool. Well, I don't skateboard, but I would put one on my wall.
0: So Scott's asking us really quickly. He wants to keep up with his clients in terms of giving them weekly and, and bi-monthly updates. What kind of CRM and mailing list software solutions do we suggest? Well, for double opt-in stuff, uh, we are using uh, AWeber, and that has a great uh, autoresponder. uh, That's great for broadcast messages, and you can also sync it with your RSS. That's much better than FeedBurner, by the way. So if anybody's using FeedBurner to automatically send out email subscriptions, you don't want to do that because FeedBurner will send out your blog post whenever the heck they want to. And what you want to be able to do is time that surgically. So it's like, you know, if you have a business, depending on where your demographic is, it's like, you know, that lull after lunch on a Tuesday afternoon. Boom, 1.30, your email shows up, and it's going to get a huge open rate, and you want to be able to control that. Quick tip, Tuesdays are the days to do that. Tuesdays through Thursdays. After lunch, Eastern Standard Time. Boom. <laughs> That's the secret sauce. Uh, we don't really use uh, customer relationship management tools right now. We, we, we've tooled with high-rise and FusionSoft, Act, um, but you know, all that stuff just seems to be complicated. I use Gmail, believe it or not, and we use, yes. uh, we use stuff like Constant Contact uh, for our uh, mailing list and AWeber. So that's yeah, Google.
1: Nice. Um, the Google Suite is nice. So e- even the calendar, we use a you know put a little note in the calendar three weeks out, ping yourself, it emails you, and then you call your customer back.
0: Yeah, and of course, and I actually use um, a Boomerang for CRM all the time because if I write to somebody, you know, and I say, hey, in two weeks we're going to send you a report about this, and then a week and a half later I get an email that says you got to send this guy a report, and uh, that's been really useful for me. So that's Boomerang for Gmail.com. Well. We'll link you up to that as well. All right, let's get moving on to the meat and potatoes. Today we're going to talk about six financial tips uh, from the pros. These are from the big guys, us hanging out uh, on on the half a million dollar boats, listening to financial advice. There's a lot of credibility in this situation. So we believe it. Take notes, write it down, and we're going to try to apply this stuff in our business. Um, Our buddy Brian has uh, an overall mantra that he, he tells anybody in business, so I'll share <laughs> yeah. that. Just to, and this is it. Because Brian, he's a cool guy, and he'll get on these huge rants, you know. But then he'll say, but you know what? It, it just all comes down to one thing, and it's you work hard, you work smart, and then the refrain, you don't spend your money. And uh, this is another way to say cash is king. Um, this is what we're building businesses for. So let's just get into these six tips. What do you think? Yes. First off, the first tip is the ideal mindset or the model for uh, the successful entrepreneur, and you see this time and time again, is like the tight, aggressive poker player.
1: So explain this to me because I don't really play poker. Well,
0: there's a bunch of different styles of, of playing poker. You can play loose, like people, you might be this unpredictable guy who kind of like throws money around and all this kind of stuff. Or you could play small ball, which is like you're really clever with your money and you kind of like Kick your money all around and you like see where the returns are and you double down and stuff like that. Well, the tight, aggressive poker player is the person who just sits back and waits uh, for when they're in a really super money situation. So they preserve their stack. They don't get involved with mediocre or mid range or risky hands. They're only playing premier pans from premier positions. Um, So that's when you have great resources and great timing. And then when you get ready to play, You've got a huge stack to play with, and this is what I'm seeing time and time again with the most successful entrepreneurs: is they're incredibly tight. Um, the, right. the decision to you know to, to bankroll a IT professional for five hundred dollars here in the Philippines will be a major conversation. Um, and the idea is is that you want to preserve as much cash in protected bank accounts as possible for when that big opportunity comes up. And the thing is, is it, it doesn't come up often. That's one thing, you know, an opportunity to really make a solid investment that's cash intensive. And the other thing is when it does come up, you're not going to have a ton of competition because in, in a lot of spaces, people don't have cash. You know, nobody follows this strategy. That's one of the great things about it is that you're going to be the only guy sitting around with a hundred grand available. You know, I was talking to, uh, um, I was talking to my buddy and I was, uh, back for Christmas and he was like, well, why are you just, putting all the money in the bank account like why don't you go get a couple of home mortgages and start flipping homes in the U.S. and all this stuff and I, I said I said to my buddy I said how many people do you know how many people in that phone that you have right now could get you hundred thousand dollars in less than two days and he just looked at his phone and he's like not many and I think right. that that's really important because that's when the opportunities come up because there are opportunities when people need that hundred grand and, yes. and I think that that's, and that's what we're talking about here with the tight aggressive. It's like because you played it so tight, so long, and it's boom, you see your opportunity, you're in there, flash sale, whatever it is, financial crisis. Um, you see this a lot with distressed business sales. You know, I would love to be able to, you know, maybe a little bit further down the line, Ian, hang out on these business brokerage sites and just wait, just wait for someone to get into a jam and then it's you are the golden ticket. You're the guy there with the clean money. It's done. It's it's fast. And, and all that stuff counts. You know, you can't be waiting 30 days to liquidate your access, assets and stuff like that. Right. Your thoughts sir. That, yeah,
1: it kind of leads in. Well, I think that kind of leads into our second point here, which is uh, don't spend your money. Yeah. So the only way you're going to get to be uh, in that position is if you don't spend your money. Uh, this is something we talk about a lot. Um, you know, getting itchy feet when you when you first get your money, and this goes back to our buddy Brian's uh, point, which is don't spend the money. I mean, you make all this money, um, you work hard for it. Uh, I think there are some things that you need to spend money on, right? You need to spend money on your health, uh, your your well-being. I mean, you know, take a vacation every once in a while. Um, you know, make sure you get some clothes on your body or whatever. But uh, Don't don't blow it out, man. Keep your money around. I mean, there's got to be some ratio, and you got to figure out what works for you. Um, But you got to figure out a way to not spend your money if you want to get to a point where you can have enough for it to be meaningful. I think that's something that we're working on now. Is like, what's a number that would be meaningful uh, for you? Enable enable you to spend the you know rest of your life building businesses, living on a beach, whatever it is. You know what, what's I, I, meaningful.
0: And this this conception might be changing a little bit. But when, when I met my first entrepreneurial mentor, you know, he's a multimillionaire dot com guy. And when I met him, I knew this about him. But he had like worn out uh, Nike running shoes on, and he had a, an old truck with 180,000 miles on it. And like those two things didn't compute for me. You know, like I wasn't experienced enough to know that like the, the folks who are really serious about business, that they, they manage their expenses and they're not just going out having lifestyle creep. Like, oh, just because you can afford a bag for your girlfriend or you can afford a nice car or something, all of a sudden you should be. Um, that's very much the consumer mindset that we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid those itchy feet. You don't need to go out and spend your money um, the way to, you know, have that aggressive, To have those aggressive opportunities be available to you is to be sitting on an incredible cash position. And speaking of cash positions, that's our number three point, which is having a solid fallback position. So let's discuss a little bit about this. This is kind of like a lot of times, you know, we talk about gaming through worst case scenarios. So we're just talking about having a solid fallback cash position and that's so critically important that you've got something that's absolutely protected from your business you know protected from other people in your life if in case cancer comes up or in case a police indictment comes up uh, you want to make sure this is a liability thing as well you want to make sure that that's under a different uh, jurisdiction than your primary operating funds as well and so you want to have a nugget, you know, like a, a box of gold buried in, in, in the – so that you always have that fundamental security that you've got something to fall back on. That's also yes. allows you to be tight aggressive as well because you're going to have to risk your stacks, right? So it's if, nice to know that you've got a chunk of money sitting in a, in a different jurisdiction that if someone – something catastrophic were to happen, you know, say you get sued for – Uh, One of our pieces of cat furniture, heaven forbid, breaks at a famous cat's leg or something, you know, and then all of a sudden we're sued for everything we own, Uh, we've got a fallback position um, that can, you know, protect us in that kind of situation.
1: Well, actually, we've got insurance, so we don't have to worry about that. And that's uh, that's should be probably one of our points here. <laughs> one way to to stay financially healthy is to pay the insurance companies every once in a while. Even though insurance, for the most part, is a fraud, but that's a second. Uh, that's a that's the second podcast. You know, it's funny you bring up uh, the gold. I actually have a buddy um, who's got like a bunch of gold and silver and things like that, and he actually has a safe bolted down uh, in his house where he keeps uh, a lot of money. Uh, in the form of gold and silver because yes. uh, it's a backup.
0: I've heard this kind of stuff. Uh, that's probably a whole other podcast. I, we've got a lot of buddies doing weird stuff like that. I've got to suss this one out. Number four, occasionally run out of stock. Have the discipline to occasionally run out of stock. And this is a yeah, tricky one because this is especially when, when you have this faster, like say you sell more product, uh, you know, your team, the first thought that they're going to have is like, Why well, don't want to run out of stock again. So I'm going to order more product now, plus the demand's going up. And you get yourself in a situation where you're always catch poor and you've got a ton of inventory.
1: Yeah, we, we run out of uh, stock uh, a couple times a year with different products. And uh, it's a strategic thing, too, because it builds demand, believe it or not. And uh, but, but we also do it so we don't have all of our cash wrapped up in these products. So product businesses are tough because um, you look at your – uh, warehouse, and then you look at your bank account, and a lot of times all your money is in your warehouse, depending on how you're ordering. And what you want to do is you want to keep as little inventory as possible um, and, and try to make those turns as fast as possible. So for us, it's around three months or something like that. What you don't want to end up with is enough inventory to last you three years, because a lot of things happen in three years, right? The marketplace changes. Sure. You got to drop the price. The price increases, decreases. It's not a good you idea. to pay for
0: storage. You know, there's a lot of things that happen there that you might not so easily be able to account for. I mean I, I think of this like the the office worker who walks into Office Max and they're like, well if I buy we're gonna be using paper in three years. So I might as well buy three years worth of paper to get a twenty percent discount or whatever. And right. and this is a very common kind of mindset. It's like, well we're gonna use it anyway, right? So let's buy it. And that hurts your cash position. Um, And it leaves you with a lot of exposure. And another way to think of this, this is another way to think about like being aggressive on this front is, you know, if you just let yourself buy on emotion here. Um, you're gonna buy too much. That's what ends up happening because you want to make sure you're in stock all the time and all this stuff. It's the same thing about hiring on emotion. To be honest, I mean, it's like the moment you have an extra thousand dollars, like, well, let's hire an extra person for that, you know. And it's like that's another thing you want to be careful of is like overhead creep. It's really easy to overinvest in your business when you should be dropping more of that cash to the bottom line. Right. So let's talk about number five because I think we're getting. Quite long-winded here. Only take a loan for appreciating assets, inventory, real estate, or bullet loans for manufacturing. This is an important one. Everybody's always talking about going out, raising capital, all this stuff. It's just such a 1% situation, you know? Uh, I am not a fan of taking on financing because I want to be the owner. And when you take on financing, you don't own stuff anymore.
1: Yeah, I love. Uh, we met with Justin Folker a couple weeks ago, uh, and he said something that really uh, reaffirms my beliefs, which is if you're taking money in a company before uh, it's producing anything, that's not a business. Yeah. Um, and and I've really believed that with like this whole startup community and everything. For the most part, in my mind, like it's BS. These guys aren't. These guys are building something. But they're not building businesses. I mean, they're building hype and things like that, and and they're taking money, and it's it's not. They're not turning it into money. I mean, it's it's a big bubble in my mind. So, um, thank you for that, Justin. I, uh I, I appreciate you reaffirming my thoughts about that. <laughs> that's really good for me. That's really
0: good for me. Well, and, but, uh, I mean, you know, you could be clever and say, well, your customers are actually the VCs or the investors, and what you're really selling them on is an idea of the future, and it's going to trickle down all this kind of stuff. But yeah, that's not the kind of business that we're talking about. We're bootstrappers. Right. We're exactly. people that, and and what Justin knows and what we know is that your customers and your clients can fund your business out of the gate, whether you're a technology company or whether you're a service company, or whatever that is. And so, you know, our customers funded uh, our first production run, essentially. I mean, we were able to secure a bullet loan because we could prove that we were going to make this thing happen. I mean, we had orders coming through PayPal and refunded And then we went out and got a bullet loan at a great rate because it's not hard to get a bullet loan when it's a no-brainer, when you can pay them back in three months. And so um, that's the only kind of loan that we're going to be hip to just getting into this these financial black holes is not something we're about. And then finally, beware of no-brainer investments. I got to be honest, I came home for Christmas and somebody I knew leaned over and said, Dan, I got to tell you about something. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I hate these conversations. Oh man, and it was the Iraqi dinar. <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i know and i just i just thought geez this look if, if this is a good opportunity first off these people would not tell you because it hurts their position to share their investments with you that's yes. the fundamental facet of any investment is that the more people that own it the less valuable it is okay exactly. except for some network effect stuff but Let's stick to these basic uh, assets, and, and I'm just you know I'm just rubbing my temples on this one, you know I don't know how to be tactful about it, uh, and so I just kind of let it let it go. But I didn't buy any Iraqi dinars, and and probably neither should you. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So.
1: So with this, uh, you know, we've got some buddies that we've been talking about throughout the show that have a fair amount of money and they get propositioned all the time to invest in different things. Uh, Maybe a thousand opportunities come up a year and not, sometimes a year goes by and they don't even invest in one of those. Um, And uh, I I think that's because a lot of them position themselves as like no-brainer investments and things like that. And so it's really hard to suss out the good opportunities. Well,
0: there's just not that many of them. I think that's part of it. I mean, one of the things that, that that wasn't apparent to me because you know we come up we come up in this culture, this consumer culture that's just like, oh, if you got ten thousand dollars, put it in the stock market. You know, if you, I mean, it's such a no-brainer. Why don't you go out and get five home mortgages or buy an apartment complex with your thirty grand or whatever? I mean, all these all these ideas that people are just like, this is such a no-brainer. And all these people you know that we're talking about would never even go for that in a heart you know in a million years. You know, talking about like they wouldn't get a mortgage unless, you know, they're at least covering 40% down up front. And right. it's, it's like, what is, the, what is the difference there? Well, these aren't actually as that great of opportunities um, when, you're, when you're looking at the numbers. And so I think the, 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 the idea here is, is that it's a lot easier to make money from your companies than it is to make money from your money. It's what I'm hearing quite a bit. And, you know, making money from your money is a full-time job in and of itself. You know, you've got friends who invest in gold and, and do well. And we've got friends that do invest in the stock market and do well. But they're not doing it because they hired some jerk-off broker in, in, in Tallahassee to manage their portfolio for them. That's not how that stuff gets done. Because no, they're spending three or four hours a day on it. At least. They're timing their sleep patterns with the market. They've been doing it for years. They're experts. If the jerk-off in Tallahassee was an expert, he wouldn't be managing your crappy portfolio. That's the bottom line. That's how this stuff works. If it's a real opportunity, you're not hearing about it that easily. So beware of those no-brainer investments. Your ten grand that you've saved up over the course of a couple years, there's no easy place to put it, unfortunately. Let's get moving on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny joke section. Well, I think it is true, Ian, that we're talking a little bit out of our comfort zone because we're sort of relaying messages learned from you know, people that are much farther advanced than us.
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm looking forward to some feedback on this episode, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we're on our way to to working on some of these principles or stuff. I mean, I think we operate under most of these principles, but um, we definitely don't have nearly as much money as the people that are uh, putting these into play every day.
0: So one of the things, Ian, is I had uh, a couple delinquent accounts on my credit report that was hurting my credit score. And so, a little muck up with AT&T here, a little misunderstanding with uh, a loan company there, and... Can, uh, can we get
1: a shocking sound effect? What would that
0: sound like? <laughs> like oh my gosh. So, I got to get on the horse with this because Ian and I, you know, wh- why do these guys who don't want to take loans, why do they need credit scores? Well, we want to make sure that we've got a credit line for our business, for operating capital and stuff like that. We have a credit line, we want to improve it. It's just a nice thing to have, that's all. We don't intend to use it that often. It's just a nice thing to have. So anyway, I found a great article on getrichslowly.org that within five minutes walked me through getting my credit score and getting a detailed credit report for free. No bullshit, no hassle. I know my score. I know all of my uh, accounts, all my information that's listed, and I'm able to make notes on all those things for other people who uh, pull my report. So that's an excellent article from that great site. So we'll link to that.
1: Is, uh, uh, is, is your number above or below 500? It's definitely above. Okay. All right. <laughs> just checking. Just checking.
0: It's not impressive.
1: <laughs> just checking.
0: Oh, I got my credit score. It's like they have a sound effect. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> hey, you can't,
1: you can't judge a man by his credit score. I, but mean, you know, I it's, don't it's, feel like that's a fair metric.
0: But it's funny because um, you know, it, it was literally misunderstandings. Like, there were two misunderstandings that led to it. And, you know, the, it's a shame because we're talking about, uh, in net capital, it was uh, we're talking about $600 here. I was delinquent on $600 because of two misunderstandings, and I was still paying them, but just the wrong amount, right? And so the, the amount went up over the course of a couple of years, and they had the wrong contact information and stuff like that because I've been moving all around. And that crushed my credit score. This is one little dumb thing. I mean, we're talking about $600. And so anyway, um, now I'm going to be – over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to learn how to try to resolve that and how to try to just get it back up to speed so that way when we apply for loans, it doesn't look like Ian just randomly teamed up with some homeless guy and tried to start a business. You know? <laughs> 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 I want to point you guys to the dollarshaveclub.com. Ed Stapleton Jr. sat me down in a New York coffee shop and he said, Dan, this could be huge. What do you think? And literally three weeks later, this video comes out that goes absolutely mind-numbingly viral. And it's a very interesting idea. So I want you guys all uh, to take a look at the video. It's absolutely hilarious. It's worth a watch just for the laughs. But it's an interesting business model. And uh, it's an opportunity for, for manufacturers. We call these like one-skew businesses or whatever. There's only three or four SKUs in the business. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if this thing works or not.
1: Yeah, my thought is, um, well, I'm interested to hear what everybody else's thought is. I won't share my ideas on it, but yeah.
0: One quick thing, James Clark, DCR, also Ed Stapleton, dc Uh nomadicnotes.com sent us uh, a great uh, uh, article about the ultimate travel wallet. So we'll link to that on this blog post as well. We got to get rolling. A lot of traveling for you, Ian. You're heading back to the States tomorrow, yeah?
1: I'm headed back on Wednesday, so uh, I will be in San Diego for a while. So uh, anybody out there, any seers out there want to meet up? I got new friends, man. Come on over.
0: (laughs) Be careful what you ask. for. All right, Ian, always a pleasure. I'll catch you next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.